Hey, it's Matt. How you doing? It's the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast, my show where I uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning into this one. And if it's your first time, then nice one for checking me out. And I hope you enjoy it. Now, I've got to say, I really enjoyed this one. Firstly, I got to record it about 500 metres from my office in uh, in sunny Brighton on the beach here on the south coast of England. And that's because my guest today is skateboarding legend Don Brown, who's originally from Brighton and was over visiting family in the summer of 2018. And Don very gen- generously agreed to carve out a couple of hours of his time to come on the show. So yeah, we met, headed down to the beach on a sunny late July morning and we got into it. So yeah, it's a bit noisy as a result this one, but that's no bad thing like to think it adds to the uh, atmosphere a little bit. So who is Don? Well, Don was part of the early generation of UK skateboarders, probably the first generation of UK skateboarders, really, who uh, very early on headed over to the States to pursue his uh, love for skateboarding and along the way carved out one of the most quietly influential careers in skateboarding. Now, that is a big shout, and I think Don would probably cringe somewhat at that description. But I think as you're going to listen... You, you'll agree with me really because uh, yeah what we've got here is nothing less than one man's overview of the international skate industry and its culture since the mid-1980s and what a career and what an overview this is. I'm not going to give you the thumbnail sketch here because Don lays it all out far more entertainingly than I'll manage to but yeah it's a peerless insight into the inner workings of skateboarding and above all a story about how massive podcast cliche alert Following your passion can open doors that lead you down all sorts of intriguing paths. Now, I realise I sound like I'm taking the piss when I say that. But here's the thing I realised when I was doing this one. Don's a romantic and he's a believer in fate. It's something that he kept coming back to throughout our conversation. And at first I couldn't really work out how serious he was about it because he's a funny fucker with a proper mischievous, trouble-causing, piss-taking streak. Um, But as the chat went on, I realised that that he was serious and and what I actually did realise in the end was this this one's about serendipity, happy accidents, personal growth and yeah, how if you dedicate yourself to that passion and an open-minded spirit, you might just end up with one of the most fascinating and successful careers in skateboarding. So I called this one the serendipity of skateboarding and one of the other reasons I did is because it, the whole reason I got in touch with Don was because he really liked the Tim Layton Boyce episode that I did and we were introduced by a friend I dropped him an email to see if he was up for coming on the show and he got straight back to me and we started a correspondence and here we are. And there you go, like another example of Don's open-mindedness. Didn't know me from Adam, but you know, he came on the show and we had a really great conversation. Now, if you're a skate geek, you're going to love this one because uh, yeah, there's some proper insights into the early skate scenes. Now, as a kid that grew up skateboarding in the early 1990s, I particularly loved his insights into that particular period of skate culture and how it developed. I mean, I was a 14-year-old end consumer at that point. So yeah, I loved all that chat. But yeah, this one's very subjective. We do leap all over the place, but it's no less compelling and fascinated for that. So I'll be back at the end for a longer breakdown of what we discussed in the usual housekeeping corner shite. But in the meantime, really hope you enjoy this one. My chat with Don Brown about the serendipity of skateboarding. Enjoy. I'm with Don. How you doing, Don? Good. Yeah. 
Nice. Amazing day right here, right in Brighton on the beach. Yeah, Brighton I, Beach. I don't remember these days ever when I lived here. Uh, yeah, well, this is a this is a rare one. It's a rare summer. Well, 76, wasn't it? 76, <laughs> yeah. 40 years. 42 years. Um, so how long are you back for? Um, I'm here. I just got in on uh, Saturday and then I'm leaving on Friday. Okay. Yeah, just a quick one. See the family. Yeah. See, Run around. Catch up. So you still got a lot of roots here? Yep. Whole family's still here. Right. And where, so where, where were you brought up? Was it in the middle of Brighton? Uh, actually, yeah, on the Bulldog in Hove, Brunswick Road. Okay. Eight Brunswick Road, lived there whole life. Right. Born in Brighton Hospital. It's not there anymore. Right. And then, uh, yeah, so just Brighton my whole life. Well, as far as up to 18. Yeah, which is when you went to States. Brighton obviously. Hove, yeah. So when you, when you look at it now, having sort of, you know, those like 30 years or whatever coming back, how, how different is it now? Uh... It's not that much different as far as like the, like the feeling that I get. The thing that is, I always remember, like obviously when you're growing up as a skateboarder, you remember all the streets that are the smoothest. Yeah. So you'd always take those streets and now I look at them, they're like really rough and chunked up, but I would still walk down those streets or skate down those streets to get to wherever I'm going. Yeah. Just because it's a habit from many moons ago. Yeah, yeah. But it's like just overall, it's, like, it's kind of the same because it's like in California where I'm living now, it's like there's so much constant. Thank you progression as far as buildings coming up like just new buildings built all the time yeah but out here it's like the buildings are so old they're pretty much the same so other than like the changing of the the west pier and the i360 everything else is kind of the same what do you think of other that than thing? people you know i actually i don't i don't mind it i like design and different things and progression and evolution of things moving forward yeah so i don't mind it but i know my sister and a lot of people they just they hate it a lot of people hated that yeah. when that thing went up but yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I think this town's always had, you know, like the architecture, the Regency and all that. It's, it was very progressive in the day, wasn't it? And, and the pavilion, for example. Yeah. I mean, this, the town does stand for that to a certain degree, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. Right. Yes, yeah, so I think the, the I-360, but like the West Pier is like a, a very significant point in skateboarding. Yeah. Um, for the whole kind of South Coast in a way. Okay. It was the meeting point. Tell me about that many then. Years. So is this when you started skateboarding? Yeah, so I, I started... Um, Back in 76, my brother somehow said he found a skateboard at St. Answell Park. Right. Up the road. And so this is like proper first contact yeah. in the UK. So it's it? like rubber wheels and yeah, all yeah. that crap. But, um, but I didn't really know what it was. It was. My brother had it and I just kind of took it over and started skating around up and down Brunswick Road on it or whatever. Right. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of did that. But then I just obviously... The beach is a big part of the whole culture down here. So just coming down here and seeing all the skateboards, they'd always gather at the, the ramp yeah. and stuff. So I'd always see that and kind of look up to all the older generation that were just kind of killing it back then. We'd always, or they would always have a, a, a like plywood up against the wall right there. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the spot. And then I kind of grew into that to where that became my spot many years. So who, who were the guys you were looking up to about them? Um, back then, it would always be like Mark Baker and Simon Levine, um, Jock Patterson, um, the Kellners. Um, I didn't know those guys at that point because I was at a, a younger generation than them. Yeah. But I'd always kind of look at them and just be kind of amazed at what they were doing and everything. Right. Um, I'd, for me, it was just I was a kid that kind of had a skateboard and it hadn't really probably at that point connected emotionally on the level that it did later on. Yeah. It was just something as a kid you had to, you know, just... Had a skateboard. So you, so you were like, what about ten at this time? Yeah, ten, eleven. Okay. So what, at what point did you get that emotional connection? Uh, it wasn't so skateboarding. Like, 
in the 70s it blew up so then 79 it was always on a 10 year cycle where it would blow up at, yeah it's like end the, of the first decade. boom in it basically yeah. yeah and then it crashed so then in 1980 it pretty much vanished overnight and then 81 was when i picked it up again i saw a friend who had a caballero board okay that was wider than the old boards and yeah bigger wheels and it was just a whole different experience and uh, I, I actually just grabbed his board and then just took off, went down Western Road, down Brunswick Square. Yeah. And then cruised along the seafront to, to the end of the Hove Lawns right there. And then I saw some guy skateboarding and I just kind of sat and watched him for a while. And it was, I didn't know who it was at the time, but it was, um, it was Steve Kellner. Okay. But he was doing all these crazy 360s, handstands, rail flips, like all this crazy shit. And I was yeah. like, who the fuck? Well, I, I was kind <laughs> of like in awe because I just didn't really know what the hell he was doing. I'd never seen anything like it. And it's, it kind of just left an imprint in my mind. But right. I ended up skating back. Like, probably two hours later, I bought my friend's football back. And he wondered where the hell I was because I just got, basically ran off with his skateboard. Right. And then after that, I'd saved up enough from, like, paper rounds and whatever to, like, actually buy a skateboard. So I just bought a skateboard, like a wider one like that. Yeah. It was mm. a Kryptonics board. And that was, the, that was it. Yeah. And that was kind of, that's where it just kind of, it, it was that point when, you know, at that point, that's probably more around... 14, 15 or whatever. Yeah. So it's just kind of that weird phase in your life where you're trying to find out who you are and it got me to like mix in with a different group of people. Yeah. So that's when I met Ian Deacon, my good friend Neil Hackett. Yeah. Um, and then Adam Brinkworth and like Julius Brinkworth and this whole kind of crew of skateboarders and then obviously Justin Ashby, you know, the whole Pixie crew. So it's like, it was the, the new generation of Pixie almost. Yeah. But skateboarding was so small, there was probably only about 15 people in Brighton that really skateboarded. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, you're talking like the post-first boom. I mean, it's th- that is a pretty die scene right there, isn't it? Yeah. You know I mean, so what was the routine back then? You know, what was your, what was your skate day? Um, it would be Churchill Square was a big one. There used to be these little ledges there that we used to slide, do board slides and stuff. Um, it was before the ollie was really created yeah. in street skating. It was more about bonelesses and stuff at that point. And uh, just kind of skating banks and kind of the whole skating destroyed. The punk movement was really strong at that point. Yeah. So that was more about Faction and Steve Caballero's bands and JFA and, and that whole, th- like, um, you know, the whole uh, skate rock kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's another, like you say, those formative years, that's another, like, massive appeal, isn't it? That yeah. You, find, you know, the, the whole attendant culture that comes with it. You've got skateboarding, but then you've got this whole other thing, haven't you, that, like, adds to the identity that you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was really the Churchill Square, West Pier, and then um, you got the wall at the back of Churchill Square. Okay. The big wall thing. And then the level, but the level was really chunked up back then. It was, like, pretty much skating on the beach. Like, yeah. It was, like, big, the, the concrete or whatever, it'd, like, vanished and there was just big rocks underneath right so it was really hard to skate but um there would still be some pretty gnarly stuff happening down there john mitchell like he was part of the original pixie crew yeah he used to skate that thing and, like kill it there used to be this little like bowl thing there that was just pretty much two foot transition or two or three foot transition when then went to like three or four foot vert right and he would just like be doing tail blocks and rock and roll and it was just like mind-blowing what he could do on that spot yeah he was like legend so that was the scene basically yeah it was like yeah it was super tight and uh it would be rare that i mean a few times people would come down from london or whatever most of the time we'd have to go up to london go slam sea skates that's where you get thrasher if they had any yeah um trying to find a board of your choice would be really rare to like find anything so you'd usually have to if you did want to get a skateboard just kind of get what you you know well that's what i was going to ask you like where were you getting the the apart from the local 
skate community where were you getting the the influence from was it just like the classic sort of trying f- little glimpses on films where you could or um, yeah like you know if you found a, a magazine like just just sort of track that stuff down basically because it wasn't a lot of it about was it especially no. in the uk in the mid 80s no it was definitely um us based magazine so it was um action now which was that weird phase when it seems whenever skateboarding crashes, it tries to merge with other things, yeah. like surfing and snowboarding or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it always fails. But Action Now seemed like that kind of project where it tried merging with surf and roller ski and all this different stuff. And it just kind of, it was still something for us to look at for inspiration. I always remember Steve Caballero, Frontside Invert, Mad Rat Shorts, Orange Helmet, all that stuff. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like those kind of things still leave a, a an imprint in my mind even though it's so long ago but those are the influences from back then as magazines yeah but they're really sporadic and obviously you might not see the magazine for three or four months like after it's been out anyway yeah also want to get one and you pass it around and yeah yeah share it like gold dust yeah so when did you start broadening your horizons when did you start thinking you wanted to you know find a skate community beyond brighton because that's kind Um, of always the next step in it really kind of and we didn't really think about it it was just like we just skated in Brighton we surfed over here at the West Pier we just kind of lived that life of like being a kid and not really known and really caring it's like it was just you just skateboarded there was no thought of any kind of sponsorship there was nothing there for you you just skateboarded because you loved it yeah and it was a way of getting out the house it was a way of like um, kind of going against the grain of like English culture like I always remember like skating down at the Hopetown Hall and seeing like all these elderly people like telling me like why don't I grow up and get a job yeah you know what I mean yeah yeah and it's just like there's just like it wasn't it was just looked at as a little kids thing yeah skateboarding so it's like you're really against the grain and obviously like in punk music and everything it was just like you're even further away from kind of any kind of mainstream culture yeah like so particularly in 1980s UK I mean it was it would have definitely stood out wouldn't it mm-hmm. so when did this the first trip to the states come about um so that was something that so and we were skating at Churchill Square, and I remember Ian Deacon had kind of thrown it out like, "Hey, let, like, who wants to go the U, you know, go to US or whatever?" And everyone kind of was like, "Fuck yeah, let's do it!" And then uh, out of probably about ten, twelve people or whatever, it like boiled down to three people. So right. it was like me, Ian Deacon, and then Smeg, and then there's another guy, Nick Sperry, Nick Umbenhauer now his name, but he was already American, but he kind of went separately, but. It, the three that went out it was me, Deacon, and Smeg, and uh, basically it was a one-way ticket, five-day Greyhound pass. Classic. Um, which the Greyhound is a bus. Yeah, yeah. Goes around and uh, the poor man's was, National Express. Yeah, and it was like ninety-nine pounds for that. And uh, Ian Deacon used to work for British Telecom. Right. So at lunchtime he would just go through the Thrasher and he would just call random magazines. Right. Um, n- not magazine, n- random brands. Right. Well, like and go go through the ads. Yeah, he'd just go find through the, the ads. numbers. Yeah, and it, like, so he made a good relationship with Jeff Newton, who okay. owned Zorlac, which Zorlac was one of the bigger brands at the time. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like calling up, you know, one of the biggest skate brands. Like, I don't know, like Element or Johnny Schiller. Or I don't know. Like, yeah. And, and, getting and through. just calling them up and getting through and then or then picking up the phone and going yeah. hey what's up that that is a good indication of the size of the industry <laughs> yeah exactly then, you know what i mean yeah so then he like so he made their relationship so it was one of those like yeah just come out and we you know we find a place for you to stay or whatever yeah so then after that we all kind of saved our money up i think i got about 300 pounds and then just quite a lot all, of money back then yeah and then uh so yeah it's like one way ticket got out there i had to wait till i was 18 before i could leave 
I don't know what my mum and dad were thinking because <laughs> it was kind of random thinking that they would let their son just take off to America. Were they, were they asked? Knowing that you didn't have enough money to come back. Do you know what I mean? Were <laughs> I they, think they were just trying to get rid of me. Were, were, were they, how were they? Did they, were they encouraging? Were they, um, did they, did they? Yeah, my mum was always encouraging that they were, I was the youngest of the family, so I was always the one, you know, after you have your first, second, third yeah, child. The, they the, can do what you want. Yeah, the fourth <laughs> and the fifth, they just <laughs> don't exist really. Just yeah, like whatever. yeah. But, yeah, oh, he's knocked his teeth but out. That, I was loved, but it was just funny to see it, thinking back, just like, wow, I was really leaving with no... Yeah, well, it's pretty, it's pretty sort of independent decision, isn't it? To yeah. just be like, oh, I'll be all right. Go to the States, 300 quid, one-way ticket. Yeah, exactly. And what was it like when you got there? Um, so it was good. So I remember like, we landed in New York, and then it was pissing down with rain probably harder than I've ever seen rain before, which was weird, being from England. And then we got the Greyhound down to, um, to Texas. So then Jeff Phillips picked us up from the airport which is completely random another random one really yeah. when you look at that isn't it yeah one of the the best skaters in the world yeah I'll picking you up. Lads. Yeah. yeah so he picked us up um in dallas and then we basically just hung around there he had a friend that his parents um kind of built up most of dallas in like real estate or whatever okay so then he had a place and we stayed with him and we just kind of hung out and just drank a lot of beer and yeah kind of partied a lot and skied and just kind of hung out went to the blue ramp and the clown ramp with the got some you know hung out with uh, Craig Johnson and you know, Jim and the whole like the whole Texas party so yeah yeah really good crew and what were you 18 um, yeah I was 18 right yeah. and what did they think of you lot then like, which was weird the other thing that was really weird about being there when I was 18 because I could drink out here but you couldn't drink but over there out there yeah when I turned up they you the, the drinking age was, yeah so it's like pretty really on weird. it as well, I guess, in Texas. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of crazy. And what did the what did they think of you lot turning up? The Americans did they, were, um, or were they just like yeah? They whatever, didn't. It was just like skaters. they were stoked because yeah. it was just like back then it was that period where if you were wearing a pair of Vans, yeah, you, you were you were in the tribe. Yeah, yeah, you were like a one of yeah, you're part of the tribe. You're yeah. like part of the family, so you would instantly have a com- you know communication connection point with someone that shared the same values and beliefs and just part of the family yeah so um yeah they just accepted us in and let us stay and like skate and hung out and it's pretty amazing you know that's what's amazing with skateboarding yeah that overall global family that yeah exactly it's every every conversation i have on the podcast about skateboarding that is the number one thing that comes across it's just that that instant community basically that it gives you isn't it Mm -hmm. so i'm not going to call it your career because i'm sure you would probably not look at it like that because i'm getting the impression that you know it was all just evolving very naturally for you but you did end up basically getting a you know becoming a professional skateboarder at that time so when when did that start happening yeah that was kind of weird because it was was like i kind of feel like my whole life has been accidental and it just kind of went on this red weird path right and it's like and it's like these are the really random things and i'm not sure if I, I don't know, maybe it's destiny or something, but I remember as a really young kid, I was like in the f- front of the house and next to it, there's a garden and I found like an American penny, like a cent. Right. For some reason, I just kept that thing. I don't know where it is now, but for, at the time, it was like, I, I was really amazed at like an American penny. Yeah. And well, it would have been exotic, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was just funny that I just, it had some kind of weird meaning behind it, but I ha- it, it wasn't there. But then right. just going through this whole kind of, phase of like, ending up going to America on a one-way ticket without really any way of coming back really you make it sound quite almost as if it happened to you and you weren't 
part of it. I wasn't in control of it. You know that's what I mean? That's kind of what I'm going to say. I know, that's what I mean, but that's I what's... I kind that, of feel that it pulled me out. Yeah, that's what I mean, but you did you did do it. Yeah, You did exactly. buy the ticket and you did go and do it. And, you know, you were 18 and you were from Brighton and it was 1985 or whatever. Yeah. And you did buy one-way ticket. I mean, that is making your own lot to a certain degree, isn't it? Yeah, you know? but it was still like Ian Deacon was the one that kind of got... Every, he was the ringleader. He got everyone together you always to need, do it. You always so need that like guy, If though, I didn't you? know him, I yeah. probably wouldn't have been out there. Yeah. I'd still be working yeah, at wait, I had, Waitrose. I had a, I had a mate like that as well, who who really close friend of mine. He was always like the, the one who had the ideas. You know, he's yeah. always the one that's like, we're going to do this. You yeah. Know? Still does to a certain extent. But exactly. yeah, you do, you do need that, but you still did it. Yeah. Know? So I did it. So yeah, so we ended up in in Texas, you know, hanging out with Jeff Phillips and then yeah. I would I'd street skate. I just get it was just skateboarding, you know what I mean? Just back then it was just that like you skateboarded, you uh, yeah. you street skated, you freestyle, you it wasn't whatever. Like, whatever came your way, you did it. It wasn't like you were thinking, I'm gonna become a professional skateboarder. No. Yeah. So then I started I was freestyling out there and then Jeff Phillips was like, Ah, oh, whatever, you know, it's like you're pretty good or whatever and it was kinda of random but it was, he ended up getting me sponsored by Sims, which was crazy to even think about that because yeah. that was never an intention to get sponsored. Right. And then he kind of made made the call and went out to California. Right. And picked up the boards, whatever, and ended up entering contests and all that stuff. Yeah. Just hanging out. So what did you what 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 were you think? Do you remember how you felt about that? Because that's obviously you must have been like fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was yeah definitely surreal because it was something that. It was never in my plan. It just kind of happened. Yeah. So everything just fell in place. But I think it's just part of being at the right place at the right time kind of thing. Yeah. So you probably, it'd be really hard to do that today. You'd have to work a lot harder than <laughs> <laughs> what I felt at the level I was at. Yeah. Um, I just love skateboarding. Yeah. You know? So that's all I knew. And that was my passion that would really drive yeah, who yeah. I was as a person in my life. So I just followed the path of where that was rolling. Yeah. So this is then basically when you your first relationship with the industry, if you like, as a, yeah. as a pro skater. And so, what was that life like? What was that lifestyle it was like? Good. So, so I so eventually in California, I was hanging out with some other freestyle guys, <laughs> sleeping on their couch or whatever. And then um, I eventually got to the point where I got down to a dollar. Right. And uh, and that's probably how naive and kind of stupid I was. But it was to say I really looked at them and said oh shit I've only got a dollar left right I really didn't think that much ahead. yeah <laughs> and then uh I ended up asking Brad Dorfman who was the owner of Sims and Vision <coughs> at the time if uh if he had any jobs or anything and told him I don't have any money and right then he got me a job in the warehouse at Vision okay so then it'd just be shipping all the boards which was an interesting time because it got me introduced to like knowing like just understanding kind of the internal works of the industry yeah I mean, and, and all like knowing all the names of all these shops the that fact that shipping was out boards the fact that it was actually a, a business yeah and an industry yeah and that sh- boards just didn't turn up in your shop exactly yeah you know and this this is like 85 you know, okay in 85 so right it's like, so vision's getting pretty big by this point right yeah so that was the thing as a brad dolphman had a conversation with me is that you know you should drive for vision not Sims, and I'm like, in my mind, Sims was the brand. It was yeah. like the biggest brand at the time, so it was a bit of most inspirational. Yeah, eight, 85, I mean, yeah. Tom Sims was as, as big as it got, wasn't he? Exactly. So then he like twisted my arm into vision. I was like, at the end of the day, I was like, screw it, I don't even care. Like, whatever, I write, just, I just want to skateboard. Yeah. So if you want to drive vision, I have vision. And then that was when he, he was just licensing Sims, so he blew up vision and put all his energy into vision because it was his brand company. Yeah. So that's where I kind of went along with the ride. Yeah, yeah. You know? Went along with it again. You keep saying this phrase, it's, it's good, man. I like <laughs> it. Is that, so is that how, how you really feel about it? You feel like you... Do you, do you feel like there's an element of, of fate in it, in, in a way? 
Yeah, pretty much. I, yeah, a lot of feet and a lot of luck. Yeah, and, uh, just being in the right. I just, I think when you really love something and you're really passionate about something, like you attract certain things a certain direction that just would take you. Yeah, if you're yeah. open to it. Yeah, if yeah. you're open. Yeah, for sure. If you don't want it too much, almost. Yeah. Which is almost the opposite problem that people have these days, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I think it's like that whole obsess. You know, when you're obsessed with something, it's just like that's how you look at your world. Yeah. You. And it's just that things will come to you because of that. And yeah. I think that's kind of what it is. Is that is that something that you kind of believe then, that that approach is is what will, what works? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm not the biggest kind of, I don't really have it. I know there's a lot of people out there that have their whole life planned out. Yeah. And I've never had that. No. I've just always followed my love and passion. Not, for not, not, a, not a, like top 10 ambition list <laughs> no. guy. I always <laughs> tell myself that I need to. Maybe I should and maybe even bigger, crazy things would yeah happen but i just i know wow he's been for a surf i know look at that, that is that is keen we're looking at a surfer just coming out of the water he's a traditional surfer he's got blonde hair and a beard there used to be a guy that used to work right here called simon Worley. okay he was a really good skateboarder but right. he used to surf and he used to live in the bahamas and windsurf and everything but he looked just like that guy he just went by i'm impressed i mean yeah. we're looking in fact, at we're looking at surfing. the sea and you know to call that six inches would be generous i think but you know gotta be in it to win it i know right um right so so do you think there's a way of turning up those wind turbines out there to where you can <laughs> actually create waves like you can switch as well we're, we're on bournemouth reef territory aren't we do you know about that <laughs> i heard about it yeah they dropped uh well they affect what was it now i can't remember how much money it was but they put an artificial reef in bournemouth uh by the pier about that's a while ago it's it? about 10 years ago yeah i, yeah. That. I mean is it good no it work? no oh, it well we don't get groundswell do we i think that's the that's the issue yeah you know we get windswell we before we record him we were swapping brighton surf stories um and they did talk about doing it here but i mean you know what a waste of money just just know, get right. in the car um exactly yeah, so Vision, so, you, so you're on Vision. Yeah, so I got sponsored by Vision, so then I'd just end up, um, skateboarding was really starting to pick up. 86 was what I call is kind of where the lifestyle of skateboarding really emanated. Yeah, I mean, this is a really cheesy question, but I'm going to... I like gonna, cheesy questions. I'm going to ask it. Did, did Back to the Future have a lot to do with that? <laughs> you know what's funny? is like, I, from my perspective, I don't think it did, but I've heard so many top pros and different people say that's what got them into skateboarding. I mean, because that was like... I mean, it was pretty canny, wasn't it, Spielberg, if you think back, because E.T. puts BMX in and Back <laughs> yep. to the Future puts skateboarding in. Like you say, at yeah. the time when it's like right on the up. But I just BMXs would say the whole E.T. thing really yeah. helped blow up BMX. I mean, I guess, I, like I said, I guess it's a bit of a glib question, but yeah, it, was, you know, it was a fucking big deal, that film, wasn't it? And, yeah. and it was the, the sure, most yeah. high-profile skateboarding, you know, like on, on that platform yeah. that they'd ever been at that point. Yeah, and it's weird because... The people that were the skaters that were in Back to the Future were two freestylers, Per Wellender and Bob Schmelzer. I didn't know that. To skate with, right? So there's this whole like Illuminati underground. Ah, okay. Yeah. Because I definitely feel that that helped blow it up. But it was on that cycle anyway, the ten-year cycle of it growing and exploding. But in the seventies and in the sixties, skateboarding always followed surf culture, so they would always wear surf clothing. Yeah. But in the eighties, for the first time, is when vision specifically started vision streetwear and started yeah. creating clothes so suddenly not only was i getting paid for skateboards i get paid for apparel for yeah. wearing the clothing and the and then the shoes yeah so i get a little check for each piece which was pretty pretty crazy yeah you know right I mean? but it was also when 
skateboarding companies went from a very small company that was specifically for skateboarders to suddenly it was going to the masses because everyday people could suddenly wear the same shirt. And then you got people like whatever bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah. or whatever the hell back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would wear, it to they were skateboarders or whatever, or they yeah. loved Gonzalez or whatever, and then they would start wearing vision stuff. Yeah. And then they'd have it on whatever their videos or whatever, and then suddenly mass market started buying vision stuff. So do you think that's the first time that happened in skateboarding, where the, where the mainstream basically started borrowing, yes. stealing skate iconography and selling it? You know what I mean? That's what you're talking about, isn't it, basically? Oh, no. No, that's a different thing. But you know what I mean, though? Is that the first time? That, that was when the, the actual lifestyle, like when the mainstream suddenly looked at bands like NXS or or whatever, Chili Peppers or whatever, and going, oh, these guys are wearing a Vision Streetwear shirt. Yeah. I'm going to buy it, even though I don't know about skateboarding. Or And then it became this like category of skate. I guess that's what I'm getting at. So is this when, is this when yeah. the, 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 that's, that tendency, if you like, sort of started around this era, do you think? Yes, for sure. Yeah, for sure. No, but what I thought. Sorry, what I thought you were talking about is another era of like when in the early nineties. Well, when, I, was gonna, I mean, that comes later, doesn't uh, it? Yeah, you know, because this is what I'm interested in, though. Because obviously, because you've got, and that's something I definitely want to talk to you about. But you've got such a great overview of this stuff, like the relationship we're talking I, I'm about. Way too old. But you know, it's like the relationship of skateboarding and surfing to the mainstream, isn't it? You know, yeah. and, like, and like how it how it evolves, which is. I guess why I wanted to sort of pin it down to that, really. Yeah. So, so are you calling this like the second boom, if you like, then? Um, 80s was the first boom, and then the 90s. So, again, going back to that, that 10 year, the decade of like the cycle of like boom and bust kind yeah. of thing within skateboarding, where the, the beginning pack. of the decade would always be really small, yeah. and then the end of the decade would be really big, and then it crashed, yeah. and, then it, and that continued. So, we're at the end In 99, of that. Yeah. It, it was on track for that, but then something happened that never happened before, and that was the X Games and Tony Hawk doing the 900. Tony Hawk PlayStation. Suddenly, you start getting YouTube and videos, and that sponsor, like, you know, the whole, everyone had a video camera, everyone could edit their own sponsor me tape. It was just like the 90s just boomed on that level. Yeah. To where it kind of skipped that whole downfall because it kind of connected with a whole new yeah, yeah. generation of kids yeah. within that prime age group for skateboarding yeah that kind of the whole world of how we communicate and what we do changed yeah uh, well, which the inspiration of skateboarding reaching the mainstream Sunny x games is hitting you know 300 million households and communicating tony hawk doing a 900 to everyone yeah know? which is obviously quite a game changer yeah so it just kept it, the bubble went up and at that same time I'm probably getting ahead of myself right now from what your question. No, but are. you know, but it's interesting because we're now on that, aren't we? So yeah, because it kicked that kicked into mainstream skateboarding. So suddenly skateboarding became mainstream where the bigger corporations. Yeah. So I go, get, oh, get we, need to, we need to own this demographic. We need to have that. Who the hell is, you know, these Etnies, S American? Who are these brands? Like we need, we can't let these guys be a potential threat down the road. Well, we all know, making money. We all know where that ends, which know, is uh, 2020 in Tokyo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. But who knows? Let's pick that up when we get there, because if we yep. take it chronologically, but your so your um, late 80s vision, yep. seeing seeing this growth in the industry, yep. seeing it develop. Yep. What happens next? Um, so for me, like the 80s, like was a really good time, just traveling around, doing demos, doing contests. Um, then at 89, I won the Munster World Championships, which was kind of weird. Again, it's like I didn't even know. It was, like, again, it's like I'm so 
clueless a lot of times. I wasn't. <laughs> I would. I didn't go there going. I'm going to win the world championships. Yeah. I just found out afterwards. Oh, it's a world champ. Because right. in a way, it was like titled and everything. But that was the world championships at the time. And I remember Shane Rouse, English skater, would come up to me and go, "You just won the world championships." <laughs> and I think I might have been the first world champion. Maybe I don't know. I mean, just, there's all this random shit yeah. that just kind of happened. Monster was a big deal, though, right? I mean, you know, that was the, that was the big yeah. gathering, wasn't it? But, uh, yes, yeah, I mean, again, but it's a freestyle, so you also got judged on how much hair gel you had, <laughs> <laughs> how your shin pads were looking. How did you do with that? Yeah, <laughs> it was good. Back then from Brian, so the wind's blowing, so my hair would always naturally stick up. Yeah, yeah, you, you, but, you um, had practice at that. But, yeah, sorry, I know we kind of skipped around, but that was another thing we kind of missed was that whole, when I worked at the Vision Warehouse with with uh, Grigley, John Grigley, who was a top vert and street skater at the time. Yeah. But that's how small skating was. He worked in the warehouse. I worked in the warehouse. Paul Schmidt of Schmidt Sticks. Yeah. Had just moved from Florida and started doing his Schmidt rails and then started doing the board production and making the Schmidt stick boards with the Tarampula and like Monty Nolder and Joe Lopes and all that stuff. But they were all there too, part of the whole vision kind of deal. Um, but John, John Gregory was like, well, I, was, I was entering the AM contest, amateur freestyle contest, and he was like, if you win the next three contests, Brad Dolphin said he's going to turn you pro. Right. And it was just like, fuck, okay. So I, I ended up, and it's weird because I ended up winning the next three contests, which is weird because I hadn't won any before that. And then I went up to John, I was like, hey, I just won the, the three contests. And he goes, oh shit, I was only joking. I, I didn't really have that conversation with Brad. He was just fucking with me, you know, and he, I probably Love wouldn't cold. do it. <laughs> but then he, he felt bad, obviously. But then he talked to Brad Dorfman, and then they didn't have a pro freestyle board at the time, and it was kind of a little, good little category at the time, and they turned me pro. Right. Which was pretty cool. So another kind of serendipitous yeah like, oh well there we go I'm pro all of a sudden exactly <laughs> and it's, like, it's funny because Steve Douglas like, so I got a pro board um, on vision and Steve Douglas hits me up and he goes yeah I, th- I think you're the first English skateboarder to ever get a pro board on a American company right which was again kind of weird She's none of this stuff was planned it was just like yeah yeah I there was no plan it was just skateboarding my love for skateboarding that's all the only thing that's been consistent my right. whole life yeah well, that was definitely a good lesson in there yeah right so how long did that last this this sort of pro era and the pro so that pro era is really from um 86 till 90 about 1991 okay and then skateboarding crashed it kind of went through a, a challenging point so skateboarding used to be owned by five brands vision santa cruz power thrasher and transworld yeah they pretty much controlled skateboarding at the time yeah so then when skateboarding crashed at 18, like end of 89, 90, then those guys got hit pretty badly. This is a vacuum, I guess. Yeah, and Steve Rocco, um, I was gonna ask a you about. I was going to ask you about Steve Rocco. Yeah, because so Steve is a good friend. He, he hated all the big five. He hated George Bay, he hated Brad Dorfman, he hated how they were so like rigid and just like, yeah. they didn't, they weren't, I mean, as much as they came from skateboarding, they weren't, they weren't really. Sure. It was kind of more business than they were skateboarders, so. Um, he just he was always an instigator and he always wanted to like bring those guys down and fuck with them all the time so then well this is what i wanted to ask you so this this was calculated as it as in like we're going to disrupt we're going to bring in these new brands well it was it was already happening do you know what i mean like the sales were down which ultimately leaves you know i remember vision got stuck with millions of dollars you know in inventory because they just couldn't sell it right and you got power same situation so then you ultimately start losing employees or you can't afford to do what you need to do yeah 
So then it made it easier for Steve Rocco to come in and still Mark Gonzalez, still Mike Valley, you know, still Sean Cliver to do the graphics, still. Yeah. And it was just like, and then it was like, Steve Rocco be like, you know, here's a desk and computer and a, a, a fat paycheck. Do whatever the fuck you want, just yeah. go nuts. And then that's where the 90s, that early 90s was kind of one of my favorite periods in a weird way, as much as freestyle and vert were eradicated and like, killed overnight yeah. and well, it became just, all street skiing yeah um it was this really it's like that when something implodes it there's always going to be a new, something new grown out of it yeah. and it was like this new breed of skater owned companies suddenly to where all the people that i grew grown up with skateboarding suddenly had their own companies you know and doing their own things so whether it's todd swank creating foundation and all the stuff down there or paul schmidt doing all his stuff and Douglas with 411 and Giant Distribution and New yep. Deal and Element and then obviously Rocco with Plan B and World and everything and you got Fiber on the East Coast and you start seeing Jeremy Fox in you know doing flip skateboards yep. and bash skateboards and it was just like this really exciting time when no, no one really knew what the hell was going on right um, but they were just doing it and it was working yeah and it was like everyone was ripping off corporate culture and it was just it was mayhem and anarchy yeah i call it i kind of call that the early 90s that cease and desist period okay or era because everyone was just ripping off corporate brands yeah like their logos or whatever yeah and i remember drawers that, that stunt you know that little brand that came out where they yeah. were ripping off the doors logo weren't they and there was a lot of yeah. that around weren't there you know yeah so yeah it's like this whole crazy period where no one there was no rules all the role it, like, and there was the way almost skateboarding had that's really fascinating is. there was no rules to skateboarding and suddenly the business translated into skateboarders running it yeah and there was no rules or any kind of respect to anyone's trademarks or any kind of business etiquette it was just like fuck it yeah i want a ralph loren logo on a skateboard bam sal barbier plan b we're gonna do it and then suddenly everyone in the whole world was ripping off every you know from and then that whole connection with that weird ravey street culture also kind of kicked in at the same time and they were all and then you got nick um who did an anarchic adjustment yeah you know on the bmx side and all that stuff and it was just like it's nick phillips right yeah and he's like a genius and it was just funny to see him how it's just pure mayhem it's pretty funny because that was the year I, I came into skateboarding and it's fascinating hearing this because, I mean, I was basically like 15 and consumer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Seeing all these American brands, seeing all these, obviously know nothing about, you know, my because my first introduction to skateboarding was like vision, you know, and all that. And then to, when I, by the time I'm like fully into it, yeah, it's like all those brands like Plan B and Underworld Element as it was at the time and, you know, all those different little brands. So yeah, interesting to hear you talk about it from the other other side so yeah. what, was, what was your involvement then what, well, so were you were, so you, were you like <laughs> industry side by this point well so it's funny right because the whole industry imploded and i was just like and i and i never made a lot of money from from business like but it was that again money has never been a driver for me it's always just been doing what i love is is always paramount to everything so it's just like when skateboarding crashed, I needed to find a job or whatever. I ended yeah. up working at a skate shop at HB Pier for a while. And then I was, I was skating down there and I saw Pierre Andre that I'd also, Pierre came out to the US in 85 and he ended up riding for Sims. So same kind of company overall, you know, Vision Sims. So we lived in the same area in Huntington Beach. And then um, he started riding for Etnies in the late 80s, the shoes. And then he started doing the distribution for Etnies in the US in the 89. Yeah. So then when I saw him in 91, 
he was like, oh yeah, I need some help with etnies. <laughs> so I just, sure. And it's funny because I think about him saying that because to, even today, like 27 years later, I still look at, I don't even really have a job. <laughs> it's more like I'm just helping out a friend, Well, Ale which I, is really weird. I asked Alex Mulv some questions, actually. Oh, shit. And he, uh, he, right <laughs> I was just drinking beer with him the other day. He, he, well, I, he, he said that, and he, <laughs> he said, ask him what his, what his actual job is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it's, a lot of it's like the connectivity with the front lines, with, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the shops and the riders, um, just the industry as a whole. But there's a lot of the, the ideas and concepts, uh, marketing campaigns. Um, I've kind of done it all from the very beginning to where it's everything from um, designing shoes, yep. you know, like the low, Etnies low cut shoe or the Coston one or the Ed Templeton, like designing those shoes to shipping to sales. I had the contacts with all the retail shops from doing the demos back in the day, so yeah. it'd be easy for me to connect the dots. So, the, so, the, so again, it's like this whole, if you take it back to the start from when you first went to the States, like the whole experience of basically every aspect of the industry, warehouse, professional, all those contacts, retails, bringing to you to this point where you've got like this overview and suddenly you can be like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. Exactly, yeah. It's just kind of like, it was built in kind of like, contact list of yeah. everything you need right there like, oh you need to like get riders like yeah I know Rodney Mullen and it's like oh Rodney Mullen's connected with day one and like, you know Shallow Greyhouse or whoever and it'd be like Mike Carroll like I'd be giving all these guys shoes and like it was and then oh we need to get in this skate shop and then some I remember the days when the first Etni shoes were pretty challenging because they used to come from France yeah brand originally came from a, a French brand in Paris um it was actually called ethnic based on ethnic tribes and then changed to etnies um didn't so know that, that yeah and then uh and then that even the etnies thing right that we talk about the fate and the destiny thing it's like the first team that etnies ever sponsored was pig city in brighton right you know i mean and it's no weird. way another and little circle yeah again <laughs> i had no one you know it's just kind of random but they, but they picked it because pig city was known as being the rowdiest skateboarders in england with the ways wherever you go it'd be rowdy mess and chaos somehow yeah um but they just like that whole vibe of that deal but it's just weird again to be a part of yeah a brand today that i was almost part of the story from the beginning that it's just i didn't know it yeah <laughs> so when when you started working with uh, with pierre what was the what was the the sort of what was the gap you know what i mean what was the idea for that for for the work you were doing did you did you have a plan did you think like we've definitely got something that we you know, there's like a gap in the market or whatever or not really i mean pierre's like he's really smart he's more of an engineer okay guy, so he's really more planned out and um articulate on things he has but he always knew that the footwear and apparel is a better way of like um the, the whole skate thing is there's only so much you can really do but in the footwear and apparel world you can really like take it to another level yeah and help kind of communicate the overall spirit of skateboarding because i guess at this era is when like you were saying earlier there's a lot of outside influences are coming in as well right for all yeah. the different skaters and you know style got pretty diverse in it around yeah. this time so yeah. is that something you were looking at and, and thinking well we could bring this to a to a core skate brand basically yeah so it's like i mean even in the 80s like skate shoes were very like big and bulky with big rubber and high tops and all that stuff yeah but then it's like we took away all the rubber and all that to try and make it connect more with the street culture yeah so it wasn't so skate but it was more part of overall street culture and just on that, on that fashion level to where it's something you could have yeah 
when you skate and after you skate. Pierre was much more planned out and I was probably more on the creative end and more the deeper relationships than on a global level with skateboarders around the world. Yeah. Um, and then knowing surf, snowboarding, the whole BMX culture and stuff, it was just kind of, I had that whole kind of connection yeah. with all that stuff. So you were a good team from the start. You brought, yeah. You brought different different elements to yeah, it. Yeah, he'd be doing more of the production and, and, and a lot of the design, he's super creative too. Yeah. Um, much more kind of planned and more the business guy. Um, but very, Pierre's an amazing person that's just very passionate about skateboarding. Yeah. He loves the whole community, just loves design, loves the brands, loves, he's, a, he's like, still today just one of the few skater-owned, 100% skater-owned brands out there. Yeah. You know, he made a lot of money in the 90s, but has invested a lot back into it just to keep it going because he believes in what we're doing, you know what I mean? To make sure we can, like, provide real skate brands yeah. to the skate community. Yeah, well, that's like bigger corporations coming in and just doing it purely for a check. Yeah, well, that, you know, that's something, that, again, I definitely wanted to ask you about because I put a few, and we're, again, we're, we're jumping quite far ahead here. I know, you're, you're going to have to cut. Splice and dice. Ah, that's all good. I think I think people listening to this are, are used to it. Um, but yeah, that that seemed to be one of the questions that came up a lot. Like what, when again skateboarding these days, some pretty big brands around are they kind yeah. of dominating the market yeah. a little bit. You know what? How do you cope with that? Like yeah, what? I mean, it's a natural evolution, right? To any industry, it's like when things get big, the big guys are gonna you're gonna get the big guys come in and want to play in that in that same playground or whatever and for a lot of them it's about the coolness of it and skateboarding is very connected to street culture and street culture is very influential to overall street you know to fashion yeah so it's like when they see skateboarding really booming they kind of know they have to be a part of it so it's just a normal thing and there's a lot of people that really hate all the big brands and I, I really appreciate what they've done to be able to like bring in so much use this money from some of the other sports or whatever to really invest um but at the same, it's just to me, it's not real. Do you know what I mean? I've seen them do it to where they come into surfing and they overpay everyone, which is really great for the time. But did then they pull the plug out because they're suddenly, oh, we're not making any money. They pull the plug did it and then suddenly it kind of just kills the ecosystem of the sport. Yeah, exactly. Or the, Happened and, with Nike and snowboarding. Yeah, it's so just snowboarding. They did the same thing, right? They yeah. come in and they... they Threw money they out kill, they just It's kind of a weird deal to me. So I, again, I'm, I do it because I, I love it. I'd never really want to just get into something just purely for their money. Yeah. And that's, as a, as a privately held company, we can do that, you know, keep that love. But when you're a big corporation like that, you, you report to the shareholders, so you've got to make money. Yeah. So it's like, who cares, you know, from their perspective, they're not going to give a shit about passion. They just want to come in and wipe all that out and yeah. homogenize everything and then make it theirs. And so, but it, it's just what it is, right? It's yeah. Like it, it, for me, it like helps give the Soltech brands Etnies S America 32 Ultimum it helps us have a better purpose of why we exist yeah. to not be what those guys are all about you know because you can almost define yourself by the fact yeah. that you're not doing that yeah because uh, I get stoked to see my friends making a lot of money and all this stuff yeah um, it's just it's just the way it is you know yeah we're always going to be here there's, there's, as long as skateboarding exists we're always going to be here just keeping it real and doing what we love to do you know yeah 
I'm going to ask you about the Olympics then, since we're on this. I've been training. Is that what you're going to ask me? <laughs> I, I think I got a chance to be in the English squad. Yeah. He, I just I, watched Eddie Eagle on the plane. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that? that I, haven't, I haven't seen oh, you it. you got to see it. It's amazing. I heard it was pretty good. I heard it was pretty good. <laughs> the, one, the one with Hugh Jackman as the coach. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. Yeah, it's so really seen, good. You seen yourself as you know, you could could make a bid. Yeah, could, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for. I'm gonna go coach. Yeah, start training. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> what what are your thoughts on that? I'm sure you've been um, asked that same before. Same thing. I think that skateboarding's not this little thing that I grew up with, where there was 15 people. You know what I mean, and may, I I seriously think there might have been 50 skateboarders in the whole of England. Yeah. In '81, and we knew everyone. You know, we almost know everyone in Europe that would come over to skate the contest or whatever, the Farnborough or Crystal Palace or whatever. It's just like, skateboarding was so small. So that's what I cherished and that's what I grew up. And that's, it was, I, I was part of skateboarding because I loved that, how it's like that counterculture and it was like anti-establishment and just kind of fuck the system kind of thing. Yeah. It's not like that today, So, but I still have those values of where I first came from, but at the same time I embrace where skateboarding evolves to. It's just I can't be that salty old dog that just no. sits there pointing the finger going, oh, the world sucks. <laughs> Same as people look at the, the, I360. the 360. Yeah, yeah, I360, and they're like, oh, it sucks and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Fuck it, they're all going to be dead soon, and that thing will probably be standing, and people will still have a good time and experience. But, yeah, we all remember the time when you could go on the West Pier and jump on the trampolines and stuff, and yeah. those days, unfortunately, are gone. You've got to move forward, right? So, so, you, so it sounds like you, you, you know, you just seen as a, it's just another part of the cycle, basically. It is another part of the cycle. It's going to happen either whether we like it or not. I mean, the Olympics, like anything, is a big organization that isn't as exciting as it used to be because of things like the X Games yeah, well, um, coming in and exactly stealing a little bit of thunder, right? That's exactly so where it's come from, isn't it? Yeah, you know? so now they're like, how do we make it more exciting? It's like, yeah, we've got to throw things that kids, the youth markets into because the youth is where the, the, the main viewership is going to come from. Yeah. And we need to grow with those guys. And if you're just going to have hurdles and whatever javelin throwing or whatever the hell it is in there, yeah, no, you know, yeah, you can have a few people there, but they're all going to die off pretty soon. And you got a whole new generation that doesn't give a shit. Yeah. So we got to have skateboarding, we're going to have surfing, we got to have BMX, and we're going to have all these things that the kids can actually relate with. So it's kind of more on, on their side. So again, it's going to happen. Um, I think it's just more making sure the skateboarders can be more in control of of it. Do you yeah. know what I mean to have a voice in it versus you know some corrupt Italian officials like just trying to make it what they think it is. Yeah. So I think it's important as long as we can keep it in the hands of the skateboard and it's going to roll in the right direction. Is that is that looking likely? <laughs> no one really knows, you know what I mean? Right. It's going like um you got the World Skate which is a new skate organization in the US on that side um that's kind of doing their best but it, this is the first year do you know what I mean so it's it's uh no one really knows you know there's still a lot of things that are trying to get worked out yeah but so the, I think it's just a matter of just being optimistic and positive that it's going to be a good thing do you know what I mean and we're always already seeing that there's a lot of cities around the world starting to invest into you know skateboarding now to like build parks and build all this you know things like whatever it's again not my world of where I came from yeah but at the end of the day it's like if we can share just the amazing feeling of skateboarding yeah it's a great thing do you know what I mean so at the end of the day it's all about skateboarding yeah get rid of all the bullshit yeah and there's there's something happening that's going to help create more skateboarders in the world so yeah which has got to be a positive thing yeah for sure and, and which will be obviously one of the main outcomes yeah and I'm, I mean my my perspective will always 
coming from that that the early days of Skavenham when it was just it wasn't about that but it's say I also understand where it is today and yeah. I think it's going to be exciting to see how how it goes yeah and especially when England win <laughs> gold <laughs> silver bronze yeah yeah get get your union jack out exactly start, right start, start supporting yeah exactly. a bit of that um, one of the questions that I got that came through was about um, you know there's a lot of Brits and Europeans that had a big big sort of um, say in the industry in, in this sort of early to mid nineties period that we're talking about, you mentioned quite a few names. Yeah, was was that something that you guys noticed at the time? Was that was that anything that was seemed unusual? The fact that suddenly you had a lot of Brits and Euros kind of coming over and setting up brands and doing well in the industry, or was again was it just a bit more like okay, well we're all skaters, we're all we're all I doing it while it's while there's yeah, England's always just had like a really good um, culture around skateboarding they're just really creative and just they kind of they're just really good at kind of getting it um so jeremy fox you know i mean back in the days i remember, always remember him like just no money or anything but just doing whatever he could to like build a brand and always would support all the skateboarders and do whatever he could um he just had a really good eye for talent him and ian deacon you know to bring in jeff rowley and quite a team. tom rune Sumner, the whole crew, you know, to like just, um, you know, and then you got Blueprint and all that side of things with that whole crew. And I know England's always had like a really good skate scene, do you know what I mean? Now you got Palace you know, happening, and it's just, I think it's just because there's probably, a, I don't know, English people are pretty critical and they, so they have high standards of what they need. So from a talent perspective, it's really good. And then from a fashion perspective, I think it's really good. They just kind of got their own direction. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely got a unique feel, on it? it? Yeah, and, that, and that's always stayed intact. Hasn't yeah, it? and and like like you say, even in those brands that came out of it, they always had that character. Like you say, yeah. look at Palace. I mean, it's got it's got it couldn't be anything but British, could it? You know what I mean? Yeah. So what? Are, what in that in the '90s kind of heyday then? When you know when you and Pierre are building it up, what what are some what are some standout memories from back then? Because again, this is. This is on the way up on another cycle, isn't it? Yeah, really? I think it's just like the. Again, it's like the ability to be able to just hook up your friends with shoes and just like this really natural, like organic kind of growth that was just like really fun. That everyone was just everyone was having a good time. Money was coming into skateboarding, so it was really good to be able to pay riders more money than anyone's ever paid skateboarders before. Yeah. So we kind of set the standards for the new pay scale almost within skateboarding yeah it's just it was nice to be able to give back and do all these big contests like the european championships and all this stuff that could really give back to the communities and um i mean in beyond the skate stuff we did the backyard jam with all the bmx stuff um and just we had surf contests we had we did all kinds of like it was just really cool to be able to give back so much yeah you know i mean um that's always been what Soltech and the ns america's always wanted to do is give back to skateboarding and BMX and motocross and all that fun stuff but um, I think those are the, the bigger highlights I remember um, again it's that there was a period in the early 90s because I used to be selling the shoes to shops too and there was a there's a shop up in Canada that I used to sell, sell to it's actually the, the, it was called Grandma's Skate Shop it's kind of random but <laughs> they used to sell a ton of skate stuff and it was a legit skate shop but I remember the guy going I don't know what you guys are doing but you got to keep doing it because I'm starting to get people come in the shop for the first time and 
that aren't skateboarders and buying your, your shoes. Right. And he's like, it was crazy. I'm selling out of stuff. And it was just, a, it was like, that was a turning point too for the company to where suddenly it went from we were just skateboarders to where, and that's all we knew at skateboarding. Suddenly people outside of skateboarding were really starting to buy the shoes. Right. And then as that grew, it started going to a bigger distribution. And then suddenly it was just, went nuts you yeah know i mean where like the big chains were buying it and it was just like everyone was happy we could take that money and give it back to the riders and to the contests and just better shoes or whatever you know it's yeah just like yeah it was really cool so it was always about reinvesting putting it back in seeing exactly, what you see yeah. how you could grow skateboarding yeah, as a success basically yeah so it was always really good and then in in 2008 um there's a recession kind of kicked in yeah and shit went kind of little south on that end and it was like that kind of challenged everyone at the same time the bigger uh, you know athletic brands had come in had started to like throw their weight around more yeah um, so things just became more challenging in the industry and I think it's just started sorting out which brands were mainstream and which brands were really core skate brands so where suddenly it's like um, you know we kind of got started getting pushed down into like you guys are just a small core skate brand right <laughs> footwear brand you know yeah versus this bigger mainstream because the big guys came back and stole back all the consumers that we had kind of connected with. Yeah, that that thing we were talking about again, the yeah. cycle yeah. It happening. Yeah, but I don't know, there's been so many, I mean, there's so many good things, you know, happened throughout the years with all the yeah. brands between America, the whole America team and Stay Gold and all the videos and Medic Marty for S, you know what I mean? Yeah. We've been able what, to like showcase. The, watch the penny section from that last night, actually. When, yeah. When, again, when I knew I was going to talk to yeah. you. I mean, Tom Penny, still, like I feel like I've seen a lot of skaters over the years and I've seen a lot of different inspirations, but I still think he's definitely one of the most gifted skaters yeah. ever. Cult of Tom's great, isn't it? Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. Whoever that is, is, that is a labor of love, isn't it? It's yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah, someone asked me to ask you about the uh, the, the Timberland story. <laughs> actually, I'm sure you've told that a few times. Yeah, is that true that he sent you a hiking boot? Yeah, and I still like, have them somewhere. And was like, that's what I want. Yeah, the soles all full enough. Yeah, but yeah, he just had the the boot and just was like, yeah, I just want this as my inspiration. And that's something that within skateboarding we'd always be looking at from the beginning. Is like, what what did the riders like within that period? Like when they weren't skateboarding? Yeah. And that's where you'd see what cost and penny, Musco. And then at that period, it was when, the, you know, the 80s was more about punk rock. Yeah. 90s was more about hip hop, start catch up. So then that whole urban athletic kind of vibe kicked in. So everyone was wearing mesh, you know, track suit bottoms yeah. or whatever and yeah, pulling yeah. one leg up. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of where S really came in and blew up. Yeah. Um, in 95 because we felt that energy coming from that side of things so we yeah. got I, do, I was hooking up with the best guys for Etnies got to like take out the best of the best from that and kind of create S yeah. under that more athletic sure player. okay so that again that was the that was the sort of idea for yeah. that one you saw yeah them. so then we had Etnies and then S was more Etnies was more action sports yeah which again Etnies is like it was all organic it's like we didn't go out with like a plan to have a BMX team or a surf team or anything it was just like they were friends of ours that would ride bmx and we'd hook them up and then before you know it like you know, jeremy ray actually came in and was like hey like, you should have hooked this guy up mike escamilla right and then before you know it mike escamilla's wearing it and then every other bmx like holy shit i want to ride out these two and then we had a bmx program right same for the surf program same yeah, for yeah. the snow program where we had jeff brushy and all these early snowboarders that yeah, didn't man. have shoe brands that were like wearing etnies 
before you know it is that so it's like no, always organic growth their thing you know we saw that trend of more like let's make sure we can cater to that athletic brand yeah not many people know this but we actually made the first dc shoes didn't know that for colin and uh, danny way okay drawers ken block came up to us and when he was doing drawers clothing yeah I was like yeah i want to do shoes so we actually made the first shoes from and kind of worked out a little kind of licensing deal where we did the production and everything didn't for that. Know that so we helped launch that there's a shoe in it and it's called the screw that was basically globe ripped off right and made them in australia because we were doing so well that kind of helped create globe was an etni shoe that was pretty identical uh duffs was created out of an etni shoe called the intercity right um it's just funny kind of seeing how <laughs> i mean it's all good it's like that's kind of just part of the culture is just yeah exactly kind of borrows a piece of everything and yeah and, 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 you, and you could do it so you did do it yeah exactly you know what i mean like it's basically help so I'm kind of jumping all over the place right now but yeah the Etnies thing was really good the S thing and then the America thing was more about that kind of more raw acoustic yeah a little bit more rock and roll side of skateboarding yeah um, you know and then you just see that there's an America guy and there's an S guy they don't usually cross over that much yeah you know what I mean and, and who they are and how they look so um, yeah so those are the three brands and then we've got 32 snowball boots yeah which that was a big struggle at the beginning I mean again that was what Pierre was just like back you know we'd love snowboarding so it'd be like what are you gonna wear you're not gonna wear airwolf or vans who made snowball boots so it's like fuck it we'll just make our own boots right and it was chaos because probably for the first four to five years it was like we didn't know what the hell we're doing it was just like sorel boots with <laughs> you know I mean, with an etnies logo on it and etnies 32 logo on it and it was pretty bad but then finally we got it to where yeah. i would be confident to say that we make the best boots in, in snowboarding right now yeah and and have like a skate side like all the all the 32 team like rip like jp walker scott yeah. stevens chris well, grenier like chris grenier won a s game of skate once it's like all these guys are like super good snowboarders and the skateboarders and at the top yeah well the team the team's always been pretty fucking legit hasn't it yeah exactly yeah and that again seems to be something that you guys have uh always based it around really yeah um so one thing I wanted to ask you about, which came up again, is uh, International Ghost Skateboarding Day, which <laughs> I didn't realise you made up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is brilliant. Yeah, that was... Because that is now massive. Yeah, it's, it's a proper crazy. thing. It's kind of crazy. So where did that come from? So that was actually something that... It was kind of weird, and this was all kind of... Uh, I remember working when, when, when the whole ethnic thing and SNR, it was just booming and was taking off. It was like really hard to actually find time to skate because you just become so busy. Right. Basically, you translate that addiction, ob obsession with skateboarding more into the actual business. Sure. Because you become just addicted to have to like get shit done. Yeah. Which took away the time on the skateboard. So it's like Vol uh, uh, the whole Costa Mesa area where we were based at the time had a lot of other brands, whether it was like Volcom or Quicksilver or Acme or Channel One or all these other brands. Yeah. So and we all knew each other. So one day I just I sent a fax out, I think, to everyone. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> saying it again. Yeah, right. <laughs> saying like, hey, let's all fucking just skate down to Newport Pier and just fucking whatever, just go drink beer and hang out as a as a crew or whatever. And it, right. And we did that, and we probably had 15, 16 people, and there was a feeling behind just like unity and family. Yeah. That at the end of the day, in some cases, we might compete against each other, but it didn't matter. We just were doing what we love and the reason we're in this. Yeah. So then um, that was kind of where the, the kind of idea kind of came from. The more I started thinking about it, it's like, how come there's days for, you know, Christmas Day or this <laughs> National Dog Day, and there's yeah. all this weird shit. There's out a lot there of them now. That 
why doesn't skateboarding have its own day? Right. <clears throat> and at that same time, it's fine. I was um, I had I, I was voted in to be a member of the IASC. Yeah. Okay. Which, which is, is the International me. Association of Skateboard Companies. Yeah. Okay. Just basically like the bunch of people like from the skate industry that kind of just kind of tried to work on the kind of more of a united voice for yeah, bigger yeah. organizations like trade shows and all that stuff that want to come sure. in that they have someone to talk to yeah but it was also something that from a we wanted to promote skateboarding and just help educate um and increase participation so the go skateboarding day concept worked really well with that to where i pitched like because i didn't want to do it under soltech because it'd be weird like yeah. a day like christmas shouldn't be a sponsored event no so yeah, so I, and I asked us. I, I proposed Ghost Gaming Day doing it June twenty first. It's the longest day of the year for most people anyway, um, and just most kids are out of school at that point. Yeah, and it's just a good day to like just celebrate skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. And the first ones, it was just again, it's that good thing. We had Steve Van Doren from Vans. We had like like Birdhouse. We just had everyone together. It was just a small one. It was a barbecue, and everyone got together. Tony Hawk turned up. It's yeah. just like skiing and having fun. Um, and then each year it kind of rolled and obviously you get the haters like fuck like skateboarding go skateboarding every day what the fuck <laughs> stupid but it's not about that it's just more like it's the same as like Valentine's Day do you know what I mean a lot of people wouldn't even look their wife or girlfriend in the eye if it wasn't for <laughs> Valentine's Day um, it was just more of that thing to it gives you a, a center point to focus in on yeah to, I mean, like, it's got to be get a, together with friends and there, it's got to be a, a positive thing yeah and we all get older and sometimes it's like you know what fuck it I'm just going to go it's fucking it's gonna go skate. It's, like it's it's not on everyone's radar every day, like us. Yeah. So it just gets more people out there skiing, and it's just a good feeling. And now you know we did the wild in the streets, which was something I always had this vision of like driving, like getting all like shutting down a freeway. Ah, uh, is this the picture? Well, there's that, but it's wait, that's another one because I've always wanted to shut down a freeway. But I was thinking about getting like five thousand kids skating right. on a four or five freeway, which right, is right. one of the biggest freeways in the world. Yeah. And then getting all the publicity that just put skating on the map but the more I thought about it the more it was just like well shit I don't <laughs> want to be responsible if someone dies yeah yeah so 5,000 kids at the freeway could be yeah could so be then we sketchy. did do Wild in the Streets which is an America event which was like more group like um, mass um, just getting as many people together and you know I've seen events in South South America that have like 25,000 people wow. skateboarding and it's just freaking nuts yeah but yeah the freeway thing that was something that I always remember there's that image of the guy and was it Shannon Square or whatever holding up the tanks yeah yeah sure and I was like you know what it's weird it's like, and thinking about <laughs> how no one's going to really run someone over so I was thinking maybe instead of having all these kids on there that I have to be responsible for I'll just go skiing just in the freeway yeah. yeah so yeah great I, had this, shot. I had this whole it's weird because I was looking for a spot for the photo that um, you could shoot one way and then get some kind of a a, a road sign or whatever on the other side that told yeah. you kind of where you are so it makes it more relevant and I look all the time and then I, the, I find the spot and it's the spot that I get off every day <laughs> of course of course going back to the whole yeah. fate right yeah another circle <laughs> Destiny. another circle but yeah so either way it's like yeah that was that was fun so we basically great, got 15 cars shot. to shut down a freeway yeah and then we had walkie-talkies. It's kind of like an Ocean's Eleven kind of operation. Like everyone had walkie-talkies. It was just like took over the freeway. I did wonder, well, you know, when when you look at that shot, I, I was a bit like, what? How how did that come about? You know what I mean? Like, what was what was behind it? Because it's yeah. it's really well done. Who shot it again? Remind Skin. me. Skin. Did he? Yeah, Welsh. Right. Keeping him in the house. Brilliant. Yeah, Skin. Like he couldn't have got a better. 
fair pictures. Like it's all him, really. Cause yeah. Why well, it was easy <laughs> <laughs> taking that pictures. Like yeah. Quick couple of pushes in the bird. Yeah, it's go. pretty funny. I've yeah. I always get tagged with these weird yellow posts on Tumblr and stuff. Oh, you do. Yeah, right. yeah. But that's done the rounds. Yellow. That picture. <laughs> yeah, I can believe pretty that. But no, that was fun to do. I think we should do it on the M25 out here sometime. So fucking hell, good luck you with ready? that. Do you want, what are you doing later on today? M23. Do, oh, it. Work. do it on the bypass. That that work. Yeah, on the shore and bypass. <laughs> <laughs> Although it'd probably be a traffic jam later on today. Knowing that road. Yeah. Um. So. I got a couple more because we're, we're times are ticking. Don't want to keep you too long. Um, so how you know we're we've been talking about like how are you feeling about skateboarding today? I'm guessing quite positive. Yeah, I think it's I think it's good. It's it is interesting right now because I talk to a lot of the people in the industry globally and they're challenged. Really? And it doesn't. That's the one thing no one can really make sense of it because skateboarding culturally is bigger than it's ever been. You see yeah. it in more places. I mean the fact that Vogue. You know the women's magazine Vogue or whatever, like, will have skateboarding in it. Do you know what I mean, or the fact that you see skateboarding on runways. Or yeah, I mean, it's literally it's everywhere. everywhere. But then, the the kind of the core, passionate skate community isn't really making much money. Right. What, so why why do you think that is? You know, it's hard to say. I think part of it might be because there's just too many brands out there, too many products, too many things. Because it's the entry is easy. The access point to like actually create a skateboard is really easy. Sure. Or even making a shoe these days is easier. And I just think that anyone can do it. So it's like there's just too much stuff out there. Yeah. So it just kind of rises up to like a lot of the smaller, cooler brands are the ones that are doing pretty good right now. Yeah. But even then, they're not on the same level as how skateboarding was in the in the 90s. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just there's too much stuff out there and then the dynamics of retail are really challenged obviously yeah I mean that's so obviously changed hugely you can always find something on sale somewhere yeah which is taking sales from the core skate shops and the core skate shops are the ones that see even that dog even that dog loves core skate shops <laughs> he's done but well he's been wanting to go mental for about last half an like hour we call them a, 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 core, a shop do you know what I mean that's someone that sells merchandise or whatever but they're more than that yeah that's the, I think that's the challenge for all of us to say these are the, the local ambassadors of keeping the spirit of skateboarding alive. They're the ones that are fighting for skate parks or fighting for the skate community as a whole. Yeah. They're the meeting point well, where everyone lot, comes together. A lot more of a role, don't they? Yeah. Just selling the product. They're educating the kids on, yeah. on things. And it's just like, again, that's my generation. The kids today, they just they look on Instagram, they click a button, and it yeah. takes them to a website, and they send that link to their mum, and the mum swipes a credit card, and it's... Done deal. Skateboards there next day, do you know what I mean? And they yeah. don't, they can bypass all of that. But still, there's something really beautiful about skate shops, you know, and that whole, they're, they're kind of just the front lines of the spirit of what it, what it's all about for me. Yeah. But again, it's like skateboarding is evolving. So what do the skate shops have to do to, to do to a better keep job? Up, yeah. Or what do we have to do to help support skate shops better? Yeah. Um, and that's something we constantly try and do and do our best to support all the skate shops around the world. But, um, yeah, that's what's... It's interesting, skateboarding. I th I th it's one of those areas where I kind of feel it's a little bit like 91 again. It's a little really? bit anarchy as far as, like, it's rolling, but no one is really taking... There's no one owning it, and it just seems like there's there's a lot of opportunities for things. Right. That's interesting. But it's not there right now. Yeah. I don't know what it actually is, but it seems all over the place right that's it's, interesting it's to hear that yeah again with the view that you've got the perspective of seeing seeing the cycles and 
recognizing the patterns you know because yeah. I mean? yeah to to somebody that's not directly involved in the industry quite surprised yeah. to hear you say that you know there's there's a bit of uh, like a lack of direction because you know it, it i'm not saying it feels calculated but it feels like it, it yeah i'm just surprised to hear it because it feels like it's never been in a in a better state really and more, been more visible you know yeah it's definitely visible but it's like everyone every, anyone and everyone can own it yeah i mean do you think that'll settle down that that kind of I guess it'll have to, won't it, it really? Yeah, it always sorts itself out. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. Because again, it's just like, I get excited about, I, I hate things being stagnant. Yeah. I like things when they move, even if it's a bad thing. I just like that thing. And I think it maybe goes back to how that kind of anarchic early 80s was. To where sure. it's like, no one knew what, everyone was just doing it because they loved it and it didn't really matter. And But it kind of crossed over into that overall culture of like, you go see punk bands, you know, like whether it's, exploited or sex or whatever and you just say for me personally I love it when there's just that you're out of control and you're, you're getting fucking elbowed in the face <laughs> you know what I mean in the, in the pit or whatever and it's just like yeah I kind of like that feeling of you know when you're it's like when you're skateboarding or snowboarding or seven when you're out of control it's like those are some of the best moments yeah because you don't really know what's going to happen next and when you pull it through it's like they're the most that's something to talk about yeah you know? or, or it's maybe <laughs> maybe it's what you know, I always think it's a feeling of like, where, well, where did that come from? Yeah. You know, where, where, what, what just happened? You yeah. Know, something, something else kind of going on that you can control to a certain degree, but when, when you, when you can't, but it still happens, then that's kind of the appeal, isn't it? Yeah. Really. Yeah. So, how much are you still skating? I roll around. Um, I've got a little mini ramp at the house. Nice. I get to that'll, skate. That'll help. Yeah, but it's not as much as I. My body's kind of falling apart a lot. Right. <laughs> I was gonna ask my you knees about are all that. janky. I'm, right now, I've got like a, my Achilles is all messed up. And my left foot. So I it's really like pushing. Even pushing hurts right now. Right. So, but it's like as long as I can just roll around here and there. Yeah. Just it's, that's all I need. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's not like I'm not out there trying to prove anything. No, of course. I love to just see what's going on with all the, the new generation of kids yeah. I love seeing the whole Brighton scene of the level and just how yeah have you been you yeah. go down are you checking on the level it's yeah, great I love eh? that it's great yeah you must it must be great seeing that after, you know after being there the original sort yeah. of and skate facility yeah I'm really stoked on the whole girls movement and just seeing like Etnies has always supported girls all, all the way from the beginning there used to be a girl Stephanie Pearson that used to skate vert back in the day yeah the Etnies rider and so we've always backed girls skateboarding, whether it's Alyssa Steamer or all the way through to like Candy Jacobs. Or every, there's so many. It's always. It's never been about gender thing. It's always sure. been about if you're just a rad person who rips. Yeah. You, you know, we're down to support you. So that's really amazing seeing the whole girls movement. Yeah, it's really, really positive right now, isn't it? And the reason I say it because like Jose Laurie or whatever from from Brighton, she's like phenomenal. I mean, I'm so to see. The whole girls scene. It's a lot down of good. Here. It's a lot of good girl skaters They're down ripping. there. Yeah. yeah, a lot of really That's good like, skaters. I, so I, just, I know, there's so much good stuff happening in skating right now. Yeah, it's exciting, you know. Yeah, in every different angle. Yeah. So what's next for you, Sweden? Uh, yeah, I'm going to head up to Sweden to see a friend. There's a back when I lived in Hunting Beach. That I, it's I had a typical skate apartment. Do you know what I mean that used to have sure 15 people sleeping in a two bedroom? Yeah. Do you know what I mean. So every time there's a contest or something happening, there'd be like Brazilian people. We used to have a lot of Swedish people come and stay. Right. And uh, this guy, Stefan Johansson, that I used to skate with a lot and live, live out in uh, HB with, and we're going to go see him. 
nice up in sweden and see a bunch of the skate crew up there Great. sweden's always had a really good uh skate kind of crew and just a good kind of vibes out there yeah yeah so that'd be good and then we're going to leave out of uh, oslo and go i want to go really go see that you know that crazy bowl have you seen that crazy bowl they have in oslo so it's up it's like up high on this crazy stilt i haven't seen that it's like it's more like a, an art piece right but i really want to go see that and check all that whole scene out so yeah i'm excited nice it's just rad, it's rad to be back in England, the yeah, sun finally yeah. came out. Yeah, you just about got it. You just about got it. Yeah, I think, I think it's back now. I think this yeah. is. I think this is it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well so done. Funny. I really appreciate that. That was great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for doing it's it, man. Yeah, good to meet you. Did a great job on the, on the show. Yeah, thank Love you. Listening to it in my car and, on the four or five freeway. Nice. <laughs> well, cheers for listening, man. Appreciate it. So there you go. That was my conversation with Don Brown about his incredible life and career in skateboarding. And you know, for me, one of the key quotes came right at the end when Don said, I hate things being stagnant. I like things when they move forward, even if it's a bad thing. Now, that is a bit of a pet theme of mine, that that forward movement, whatever the circumstances, is essential. I'm a big believer in just making decisions and pushing forward whatever the circumstances to break the pattern. If, uh, if I'm undergoing, if I'm in a bit of a funk, undergoing a bit of anxiety, not too sure where to go, I often think that just making one decision and forcing some forward movement can uh, can make the change that you need and I detected a lot of that in Don's worldview which has been shaped by skateboarding and the ringside seat he's had to every significant significant excuse me development in skateboarding and wider action sports culture over the last 30 years and it's given him an enviable sang foie but also an understanding that fundamentally Flux and change is constant and it's got to be a positive thing. And if you ask me, it's that viewpoint that has enabled Don to stay current and relevant throughout his entire career. Now, I do regret not asking him about his views on the idea that traditional skate culture, particularly skate industry culture, based around the California nexus of which Don is a key part, is fundamentally pushing a toxic and particularly masculine form of skate skateboarding culture, as argued by an increasing number of pe- people these days particularly in that primitive progressivism piece I posted on the newsletter a while back. But yeah, I've got to be honest, I just forgot, basically. Um, so maybe next time I see Don, I'll bring that up with him. Anyway, if you enjoyed that one, check out my interview with uh, Tim Layton Boyce on the History of Read and Destroy magazine, my chat with Peter Helicar on his life in skateboarding, or even my conversation with Jeremy Sladen about how his own passion for snowboarding, in his case, led him to his own remarkable career. Okay, housekeeping corner, it has been a while. And yeah, I did have a couple of weeks off from the podcast, actually, uh, mainly because I know I've got a hectic old September coming up with a lot of different trips and interviews on the cards. I'm off to Newquay with Patagonia this week to speak to Keith Malloy. I'm off to Bantham, Bantham in Devon for the annual football tournament. I play with lots of my uh, wonderful friends from Devon and Brighton. I'm going to pack the podcast gear because you never know who's at that one. Check out the Instagram O-U-A-T-I-T-W-C for more information on that one. And if you're in the area, do come along. Now, speaking of Instagram, if you follow me on Instagram, I am We Look Sideways, which I think is why so many people get confused about the name of the podcast and refer to it as We Are Looking Sideways. But yeah, whatever you do, you. You'll have seen that um, I've been doing some polls recently. And basically, yeah, I've been chatting to some brands about getting involved in the podcast and hopefully helping me pay some bills to keep this thing going. Now, it's an interesting conversation. I've got um, different chats with about three brands right now. 
not sure what I'm going to do about that or what um, they actually want me to do in some cases. But yeah, keep an eye on Instagram because I'm going to probably explore it again on there. Either way, love to hear your thoughts on whether I should do it or not. Most people were definitely just like, fuck that, who cares? But there were definitely a couple of people who strongly expressed the view that I should remain editorially independent. The other option is the subscription model. I ran a poll on that and yeah, I had my suspicion confirmed that no matter how much people like the podcast, the idea of paying £1 a week to listen to it is just a line too far and that they would not listen to it if that was the case. I mean, yeah, I, that was what I was expecting. There's also this Patreon, Patreon option, but to be honest, I just can't be fucked with the admin on that. I mean, it's going to be another social media platform that I've got to get involved with. I just can't be asked, so I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, maybe if I get some fucking intern one day or a helper, I might do that. But right now, no. Anyway, glad to see people are still really digging the show. I checked it on the stats recently. Can report I've got listeners these days in Belarus, Albania, the Faroe Islands, Uganda, Armenia, Oman and the UAE. So if you're if that's you, hello. Thank you. I recently clocked a nice milestone on Apple Podcasts, which was 200 five star ratings. I think I'm on uh, 93 five-star customer reviews. <laughs> Sorry, listener reviews. Some pretty funny ones on there, but I was uh, tickled by a couple of them recently, including this one by Honey and the Bees, who said, looking sideways consistently comes up with the most surprising interviews. I came for the snowboarding, but in the end of stayed and been blown away by skateboarding professors, super smart charity CEOs, visionary women, and the curiously profound insights of those whose experiences of life, I can't read my own writing, of those whose experience, experiences of life at its most physically challenging have created moments of epiphany. Jesus, that was a struggle. Um, anyway, if you told me I'd been getting reviews like that when I started, well, I'd have been pretty happy. Um, that has just told me I need to do a bit of practice. I'm supposed to be giving a talk at the end of September in Ireland. And if I can't even read my own writing, um, I've got some work to do. So I'm going to go and uh, yeah, get ready for the for the month ahead. Nice note to leave it on for this week. Thanks again for listening. And yeah, I'll see you next time. Nice one.